98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Weekly Blast. The 2018 NBA Draft is not only a major storyline in the playoffs, it means everything in Phoenix. It represents the dysfunction that occurred behind the scenes before the Suns selected number one overall, underscoring the transition of power from one GM to another. Now, Ryan McDonough didn't just feel pressure to pick the right player at number one. He felt like his job was on the line, and man, was he wrong about that because his job was already gone by then. But McDonough's choice of Aiton is turning out to be one of the best things about this postseason, one of the most surprising things, and we all love surprises. And in the second pick of that draft, Legend has it that James Jones overruled McDonough's preference and traded up for Mikhail Bridges. Now, you can imagine the internal wreckage that caused. Before you know it, McDonough was out, Jones was in, and here we are. But the bottom line is this. The Suns secured Aiton and Bridges in the first round of the 2018 draft, which is beginning to resemble something like the famous 84 draft. Now, that's 40% of their current starting lineup coming from that fateful night in Brooklyn when the Suns were in the midst of internal madness. And wouldn't it be something if this postseason ended up in Brooklyn in the very same city? All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW. Test drive the ultimate driving machine at the newly renovated Chapman BMW in Chandler at Chapman BMW on Camelback. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. Yeah, just teammates finding me. Uh, and my coaches just tell me to mix up a little bit. You know, you have everything you want, you know, just shooting and uh, driving. So, you know, they put that on my mind just to mix up a little bit and – just being aggressive, my teammates were finding me. Yeah, that was Mikel Bridges after a very, very impressive game one. Eight for 12 from the floor, four of eight from three-point range. He made all of his free throws. He led the Suns with 23 points. Talking about his uh, propensity, his success in those corner threes. He hit three of five corner threes last night, three of four from the left corner. Uh, and really, uh, for, for my money, started the push that turned the whole game around Same. for the Suns. And, and, it, and it wasn't just all Mikel Bridges. Um, it was teammates finding him, as he said in that soundbite. And the way they're finding him is with these crazy diagonal passes where Mikel Bridges had time to tie his shoes on a couple of those catches before he shot the ball. And he looked very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And when you have that much rhythm in, in your in your form, I mean, these, these are NBA players. They're going to knock down that yep. shot. That is something the Denver Nuggets are going to have to tighten up for game two if they want to stay in this series. Because if, if any corner three-point shooter, whether it's Crowder, Johnson, Bridges, or whoever else has that much time to set up and get comfortable, yep. it's going to be a long, long, long night for them. Yeah, I agree that, that at halftime there was uh, pleas for more defensive intensity, and I think Mikhail Bridges took that to heart. I think he started playing faster and running the floor. When Mikhail Bridges runs the floor, he can be a devastating force in the NBA. He is really one of the best at doing so. Mm-hmm. And he's a great two-way player, and he was feeling it last night, and I think it's important on a couple of different levels. I I think uh, Devin Booker has already announced that this is not too big for him. We none of us ever thought it would be. DeAndre Ayton is the surprise of it all. Now Mikhail Bridges has had a Mikhail game. I mean, he was okay against the Lakers, but not good, not great. Yeah, I think most people would say that he, um, you know, maybe underachieved a little bit yeah. in the Lakers series. I think, I think he averaged nine points a game for the series. Mm-hmm. 
and he's capable of so much more it's, as he proved yeah. over the regular season. And, and so now, now we've got all these identifiable weapons who have had big games in the playoffs, and you start stacking those, it can build an incredible collective confidence. And then at the end of it all, Chris Paul just kind of took business, took care of business at the end. I saw the stat, it blew my mind. Chris Paul ended with 21 points, six rebounds, 11 assists, and one turnover. He's the first player over 36 years of age with a 25-10 playoff game since 1965. Mm-hmm. And I think that was Elgin Baylor, okay. if I'm not mistaken. I think. Uh, going back to Bridges and his uh, thumbprints all over this uh, game one, here was Monty Williams' head coach on uh, Mikel's performance. I mean, I, I thought he picked his spots well. You know, when the, when the shots presented themselves, um, especially after the first quarter or the first six minutes of the game, I uh, thought we were trying to attack the paint and then make inside interior passes. Um, he did a really good job of having balance tonight, you know, taking the threes when they presented themselves, but he also attacked the paint. And uh, his backside defense was, was pretty good tonight. He was able to get a big steal on Austin out of a timeout, which is, which is huge when you come out of a timeout and get a turnover. But I just thought he had really good balance tonight. Um, he only got 12 shots and he had 23, t- 23 points. He had five assists too, so... For a guy that we don't call many plays for, uh, that's a pretty efficient night. Yeah, DeAndre Ayton, who was also a standout for the Suns, talked about uh, what stood out to him about Mikel Bridges' performance. Mainly, uh, you know, it was reading what the defense gave him, you know, putting the ball on the ground, making the play. You know, uh, Kale is a jump shot shooter, but, man, he, he made some plays today, you know, kicking the ball, finding me, finding other guys. It, it, it was great to see, man. Uh, it shows you the type of team we have where guys can – you know, do 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 both. You know, they they they're very versatile on this team, and you know, it's just fun to play. Yeah, that was kind of a blanket statement for me. You know, walking away from that game last night was thinking to myself, that looked like the Phoenix Suns, mm-hmm. and we saw it in stretches against the Lakers. Nothing really sustained. Obviously, the Game Five blowout. They they looked like themselves for a good portion of that game. Um, the Game Six run to, to open up the big 29-point lead. They look like themselves, but they, they couldn't sustain it. Last night was at least a half of basketball where they looked so comfortable offensively and so confident defensively. They shot 64% yeah. from the floor in the second half. Yeah, they they turned a game that was getting moderately worrisome into a, a blowout, mm-hmm. and, it, and it shifted like that, and it made people feel a lot of confidence walking away from that game. Um, again, I, th- I think the X factor was there were, the Suns had two X factors last three of them. If you count Tory Craig, Mikhail Bridges, who you identified probably as their most important X factor in the series, and I agree with that. Uh, Tory Craig, and then the crowd once again last night. There was a difference in the crowd as we've been talking about all morning. But I remember this, and, and maybe you could sense this. Here's how different this crowd was last night in the second half when things started rolling. If the Suns were in an, uh, a, a half-court offensive set and the shot clock was nearing, you know, getting under 10 seconds, you could hear some anticipatory buzz lifting in the crowd because they wanted to explode and they knew a shot was coming. The times they get out in transition, it, it would crescendo. It was so live and in the moment mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. Denver couldn't deal. The the version of that is you talked about the the cross court like passes to the open three point shooter. As that pass was going to the shooter, you could hear the crowd going, "Oh, Uh like they're ready for him to hit that open shot and just yeah." 
Yeah. Right. Recognition of, wow, he's got a lot of room there, and he's a really good corner three and shooter. And we're going to have a moment to go nuts here if he makes it, and the players feel that. It's like, the, and they can't wait to be the one to take the open shot. It's a great way to put it, is the crowd is kind of, what we've seen in the four home playoff games so far, is that they're chasing that next opportunity yeah. to explode. Yes. It's it's not a reactive, reactionary crowd at all. And it's it, uh, it's so different, and it's so good, and and I really hope this just speaks to a a new era of Suns fans, just a new youthful kind of exuberance and and hometown pride element to it all. That man, it's 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 really played a role in the Suns' playoff performances so far. Yeah, Stephen A. Smith from ESPN, uh, he was on first take this morning. Uh, count him among those that was very impressed with what he saw from the crowd to this day. I still, my hair still stands up on my skin, and I, I mean, I love crowds. I love that environment. You know, when you used to travel to the Oracle and to watch Clay and to watch Steph rain threes was special. But that Phoenix crowd right there, it's special to watch. I, I'm going to go out there for a game. It's special to mm-hmm. see. They have a true, real home court advantage, and I'm telling you right now, I understand COVID's going on and all of this other stuff. If other teams that play against them don't find a way to get their fans in their arenas and they ain't like that, you ain't beating Phoenix. Yeah, I'm telling you right now, that crowd is the proverbial sixth man, and it is special to see. It's a treat. To watch this game, I, you want to be there when you're watching. That's that a home game. court advantage. No question. Especially, so, coming court of, advantage. especially coming out of social distancing. Yeah. And now you see that they, yeah. you felt like they fed off the energy. hundred percent. And I think that just gets the ball rolling further downhill. Mm-hmm. Suns fans, they know how they've behaved so far, positively, mm-hmm. supportively, and then you start to get the kudos and the recognition from the national media. Tomorrow night should be off the charts again. Which is crazy because they still don't have the fans right on the court camera side behind the benches, you know? Mm-hmm. Where you usually, like, when you're watching on TV, oh, we'll get the matter. real reaction. Yeah, it's, 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 been, it's been just revelatory. It's, it's, been, it's, really, it's, it's frequently been the number one element of these Suns games. And what Stephen A. is saying there is absolutely accurate. That was an advantage for the Suns in a first-round series against the Lakers. The the crowd in Los Angeles was better live than it appeared on television. Cam, yes. Cam Cox told us that. Yeah, but it was nothing like Suns Arena. But even watching Game Seven between the Clippers and Mavericks from Staples Center in L.A. on Sunday, they announced a crowd of seventy three forty two, and maybe it's the way that it's configured. There was a lot of cardboard cutouts in those seats mm-hmm. at Staples Center yep. dressed up as Clippers fans. Still. Right. So if you get... Well, it was L.A., though. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, they're all <laughs> they cardboard or plastic, yeah. right? Yeah, right. There's a cardboard fan. There's a plastic fan right next to him. Okay, um, so I would rather play the Jazz than the Clippers matchup-wise, but... You play the Jazz, it's going to be one rabid crowd versus another. It's going to be, yeah. that's going to be a loud series. I, I think that's, I don't want to look too far ahead. No, I know. Hopefully we're having that discussion, but that that to me is kind of a pick your poison uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. I do agree that from a matchup standpoint, the Clippers are really tough for the Suns. We've seen that play out this year. Uh, I think Utah is a better functioning basketball team than than what the Clippers have with a lot of star power and and the best defensive center in, in, in basketball on their roster. 
either one of them is going to be tough. But mm-hmm. I also do agree with you that it, it should the Suns advance to that level, um, the atmosphere in Utah, I think, would be a bigger hurdle for them. Plus, Utah would actually have home court advantage. Yes, they would. Which the Clippers wouldn't. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Get to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, there, there, is exactly. no, there is no failure at that point. Well, Kendrick, at that point, I'm putting aside every bit of, a ne- of critical analysis and just immersing myself in it. Kendrick, no per- one's beating Brooklyn anyway. <laughs> hey, they're just one more hamstring pull away from yeah. Dooms. Oh, that is true. Happen. That um, is true. Kendrick Perkins from ESPN was on with Doug and Wolf this morning. With all this talk of the, of the excitement in the Suns arena and how the crowd is really providing a boost. He was asked the question, does the crowd really matter? Absolutely. And, I, and, I, and I've been saying this for a long time. People have to realize fans, crowds, home court advantage, being at home, they help you win ball games. The Phoenix Suns were down 10. They rallied back. You know why? Because of the environment, the fans getting involved. How many times have we witnessed and saw post-game interviews with players that came in and they're being interviewed, and they said, we owe this one to the fans. They were, they were, they were amazing tonight. They were rowdy. They, they, they helped us fight through. This is why you need fans. Fans are so valuable. And when, when, when I'm watching the game from my home in Houston, watching it on television, I'm saying to myself, it is electrifying right now in Phoenix. It's rocking in there. I said, man, this is lit right now. I can't wait to go to one of the games in the Western Conference Finals. I have a buddy who's lived here most of his life, but he's living on the East Coast now, so he's staying up late to watch these games. Mm-hmm. He said he went back and he watched the Tory Craig alley-oop uh, highlight from, from Cameron Payne five times just so <laughs> to, to gauge the crowd. Yeah, you couldn't believe nuts. how loud it was. I, yeah, I think you correctly ID'd that. I think that was the crescendo moment. That was the beast mode moment of the game. I mean, there was plenty of them. The the Chris Paul three, the Devin Booker three, where he got fouled. Mm-hmm. The Jay Crowder four point play. Yeah, the, big. the the DeAndre Ayton uh, driving sl- dunk. The flush, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, back to the uh, back to the draft angle of my blast. Think about that. A lot of people are looking at the '84 draft and going because that draft was obviously famous for Jordan, Elijah, Juan. Bowie in between, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then who was at five? Who was really good? Who was taken at five? Uh, let me pull that up Because they're saying the same dynamic is true. Oh, that, that would be the Charles Barkley guy. Oh, that guy. Sam Perkins at four. All right. Um, that draft was pretty good. Yeah, that is a good draft. <laughs> Otis Thorpe at nine had a really good career. I mean, Kevin the, Willis at 11 had a really good... John Stockton at 16. Wow. Holy smokes. I mean, the other one is the LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, Chris Bosh draft. Yeah, that was 2003. James 1, Anthony 3, Bosch 4, Wade 5. There might not be a better top five in any draft class That's pretty good in one. NBA history. This one, though. Darko Bagley, that uh, two there. Yeah, right. Okay, so yeah, so this one is Aiton, then Bagley, then Doncic, then Jaron Jackson, then Trey Young, Mo Bamba, and then Mikhail Bridges at 10, Shea Gilgis Alexander, who was the guy that Ryan McDonough wanted. Not Mikhail Bridges. No. And and then Michael Porter Jr. is there. Uh, yeah, it's it's been quite a storyline just because of the t- because of the performances of Trey Young, who has not only been great but he's been such a showman. Luca was phenomenal again, and uh, what he's done. And and then the DA piece is really the is the stunner of it all. Um. Yeah. I mean. 
from where he was at t- times this season, and we've had this three long, three year long discussion about mm-hmm. his focus, his force, all of those things, and I think a good way to put it without you know the data in front of you is to say that he's he's been a bit of a tease on that front. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been nothing teasy about what DeAndre Ayton has done in the in the postseason. Yeah, uh, and to do what he did, especially in the first four games against the Lakers. But I hold up game one last night in in what was a you know maybe a draw against Nikola Jokic, the presumptive MVP in the league. That might be even more impressive than what he did against the Lakers. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, his dunk, Jokic is way better than the the, the the crew that they put out there. At the yeah, five. without a doubt, his dunk brought Guy Fieri out of the seat. Out of the seat, we did not know Guy Fieri was a Suns fan. He is now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he His is two now. sons. Uh-huh. He's been a big fan of the Flavor Town Sons uh-huh. for a long time. Did, was it his wife wasn't? You know, his wife wasn't there, right? No. You know who he was married to, right? I Guy have Fier- no idea. Girl Fieri. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> did I hear an audible? I think yeah. I heard an audible groan from Sarah Cazell uh, through, through the through glass. glass. Put wow. the microphone off, and it was warranted. <laughs> Jarrett, I was just... we can only put up with so much here, okay? okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> so stupid. So stupid. What else, what else you got, Jarrett? No, no, I mean, no. Nothing. You have any more Save Guy Fieri material? No. <laughs> I don't even know how to recover from that. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, it's, it's it one, it is one thing, and, and you kind of pointed this out in, in your column on uh, ArizonaSports.com, Dan, is that a team, it's obviously gaining momentum in the Valley. We're, we're seeing Suns fans, old, young, new, whatever, coming up. But when you start getting that celebrity culture... Mm-hmm. You just played all the you know the Kendrick Perkins, Stephen A. Smith talking about how great the Suns' atmosphere and how great this team is. But when you get the Guy Fieri's showing up to a game who seemingly has no connection to Phoenix Suns, but they want to be at a Suns playoff game, uh-huh. that's how you know a oh, team seems well, really. There was you could see it all throughout the arena last night. The, the return of the pretty people, the big moneyed people, the people who see this going on and go, I got to get to that atmosphere. It, it it was happening again no, last night. You've identified this accurately over the years that uh, that that thinking that feeling exists very much in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. It is a be seen party town. Oh, no doubt. And right now, that's an opportunity to be seen where you haven't had an opportunity to be seen in, in a year plus. Without a doubt. Uh, plus, you'll see this. You know, there's only eight teams playing NBA basketball right now. Pretty exclusive tickets. The rich yeah. and famous like to flex a little bit to be seen courtside court at those games. Michael With, Phelps was at the game again last yeah, night. Yeah. And he goes to a lot of Suns games. Yes, actually. yes. And that's uh, it, it's funny because yeah, I, I saw a little exchange between him and CP3. This is only going to increase now. Uh, it's and, and on a much smaller level, the same things happened at the 16th hole of the Waste Management Phoenix Open. All of this energy coming forth from a place with a wild setting of fans, it becomes a bucket list item. It becomes a magnet. It's where people want to go. People are drawn to energy, especially positive energy. And the flex of the scene and be seen crowd of sitting courtside at an NBA game. Yeah. Jarrett, are you a big Guy Fieri fan, actually? I never used to like him, uh, but I've watched a lot. Of diners, drive-ins, and dives. It's a and, great show. Uh, 
it seems like the greatest job in the world to have also. And as the more I found out about him as a person, I, I've liked him more. He's act, yeah, he's I, I overlooked like a really his good sort of obnoxiousness. Yeah, he's yeah. Like, he did a lot for a lot of people during the pandemic. So, so yeah. uh, And he's a Suns fan so now. I have, a, I have a question for you. Because I was jotting down, we were getting to the point where, oh, he's here, let, let's introduce him on camera. And for whatever reason, it didn't happen. So I'm jotting down an intro. And there was a debate among the, the staff. Is he the king of Flavortown or the mayor of Flavortown? The mayor. That's what I thought. Oh. This is not... Flavortown is it's not, not a, a monarchy. Fi- it's not a fiefdom. It's, it's, not, it's a, a fiefdom? <laughs> it's not a, mi- a fiefdom, monarchy. Whatever. Yeah, absolutely. I ran into uh, Guy Fieri at Disney World with my family. My daughter said, Dad, that's Guy Fieri. And after I said, who? Uh, no, I, I know who he was. And so we went up and talked to him and, and all that. And he was super nice and all that stuff. And we left. And then about 20 minutes later... Half my family went this way. I took Cole to get like a burger, and we came in, we got our stuff, and we sat down. I look up, and Guy Fieri was sitting right across from me again. And at that point, he looked at me like, are you stalking me? John Cleese told me about you. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. The funny thing also about last night is as the the crowd, the, the pan of the crowd came, Guy Fieri was not dressed in like one of his crazy flaming shirts. He was wearing all black, black jacket, and he was wearing a black mask that covered most of his face. He was, but no, he has the shock of Guy hair, Fieri right. hair. Yes. You're giving, that you instantly knew it was yeah. him. You're downplaying his, he was wearing a long sleeve button down leather shirt. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Like I said, casual and conservative. <laughs> in 105 degree Phoenix, Arizona in June. <laughs> Yeah, hey, listen, but you can't dial it down at Suns games now. That's that's where this thing was, is going. Oh, it's just uh, was that the best atmosphere that you've been since you've been a, a PA announcer? Yeah, I mean, I, I think each maybe game two was a, a little bit of a lull. Yeah, game one was amazing. Game two was just short of amazing. Game yeah. five was, was amazing, off the charts. And then mm-hmm. last night, I didn't even have that expectation, but. Credit to the Suns fans for recognizing, I don't care if it's not the Lakers. The stakes are bigger. We're moving towards something, and we need to bring it, not and they brought that, it. Do you know what a fundamental shift it is in this market when the opponent doesn't matter, when it's about us? Mm-hmm. When it's not about hating and trolling you, it's about celebrating us. That's next-level stuff as a sports town. And and I hope the Cardinals can capture the same thing with all these marquee players they have going forward. They've got a chance to do the same darn thing. And now you do that, you back-to-back seasons like that, now we got something. Yeah. It's exciting, man. I can't wait for tomorrow night. I'm uh, already already jacked up for it. Listen all day tomorrow for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the sold-out Phoenix Suns Arena for Game 2 against the Nuggets. It's the hottest tickets in town. Game day giveaway. We'll do it all day. Tomorrow. Coming up next, we'll continue to talk NBA Suns Nuggets. Dave Pash from ESPN NBA commentator, also voice of the Cardinals. He'll join us next. It's Bickley and Murata, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Suns playoff coverage presented by Four Peaks Kilt Lifter. Suns win. The Suns win the opener of this Western Conference semifinal series as they come in with a strong third quarter, a brilliant second half, and they win it. The home of Phoenix Suns playoff basketball, 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Bickley and Murata talk Suns Nuggets now. Uh, Yeah, I think we cleaned it up in the second half, um, starting with stops. Um, but they, you know, they make it tough on you. You know, they put length on you. They 
you know, have Jokic up on a lot of ball screens. So, you know, we just try to get off and move it quick and, you know, move the ball faster than, you know, the defense can move. Um, I think we got some good open shots in the second half that, you know, opened up the game for us. Devin Booker last night, he was one of four Phoenix Suns with 20 or more points in a game one win over the Denver Nuggets. Game two tomorrow night here to talk Suns and uh, NBA playoffs with us. ESPN broadcaster, also voice of the Cardinals. Dave Pash, our guest here on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. Dave, thanks for the time. How are you today? I'm good, guys, but I'm a little disappointed. I was expecting when you guys were doing the Guy Fieri, Girl Fieri, the dueling gambos. Like, I, I drive a Fieri, I take a Fieri to work. Like, I thought something, I was expecting that. I didn't get it, though. Tyson Fieri. Dave, with all due respect, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but we wanted to move on from that joke as fast as possible. First of all, we're going to revisit it next segment because Jared is getting destroyed on social media for that joke. I mean destroyed. Fieri Testaverde. What is that? Ferrari? Testarossa. Testarossa. Yeah. I've been to Testarossa. All right. Quit while you're not ahead, Jared. Yeah. Uh, Big takeaway impressions from uh, from game one last night from the Suns, Dave. Well, Benny, I was really impressed. That that, that performance last night with a healthy Chris Paul, they're just such a different team. I think right now you can look at the four teams left in the West and and really say that, that three could advance to the finals, and the Suns are one of the three. If Chris Paul's healthy, they're good enough. They're deep enough. They they have a, a superstar in Devin Booker. They have an emerging star in DeAndre Ayton, who's been in one of the nicest surprises of the entire NBA playoffs. So with a, with a banged-up Denver team, I, I just think it, it would have to be an injury to Chris Paul or something like that to keep the Suns from winning the series. Yeah, and I think that that sense of excitement is just starting to get crazy around here. What do you make of the way this city and these crowds have reacted to this basketball team so far? Well, it reminds well two things, Dan. It reminds me of when you know the Cardinals are really good. It reminds me of the the run to the Super Bowl, the run to the NFC Championship game five six years ago, when you know the, the teams in this town are really good and fun to watch, everybody gets on board. And the other thing it reminded me of was, you know, when I first started working at ESPN, the Suns were, you know, one of the best teams in the league. And so I'd do Suns games, and the place was rocking, and Nash and Stoudemire, and uh, they were one of the best teams in the NBA. And so it, it became weird over the last decade doing Suns games when they weren't good, and the arena wasn't full or wasn't jumping. I was just so used to it. So it did it kind of almost felt like, okay, things are getting back to normal with the Suns because that's what I remember about the Suns crowd was you know, those days with, with Nash and Amari and, and the Suns were always in the mix to get to the Western Conference Finals. Dave Pash, our guest here on the Coulter Automotive Group Sportsline. You mentioned him as one of the most pleasant surprises so far of the postseason. Uh, DeAndre Ayton has not disappointed. He's kind of taken a step forward in his career, which has been uneven to say the least. And the thing that I marvel at in this series, Dave, and, and overall, when, when he matches up against Nikola Jokic, there is a mutual admiration for the way the, the opposition plays. But uh, we've seen DeAndre Ayton be very impressed or awed by playing certain centers in the league, yet he's not impre- that impressed or, or awed by playing against the best. What did you make of, of specifically his performance against Jokic last night? I, I thought it would be a tough matchup for Jokic because uh, Aiden will he'll fight. I mean, he'll, he'll play 
he is a competitor. I mean, when when DeAndre Ayton, and I think I've told this story numerous times, I remember, first of all, that year at Arizona, we did, Bill Walton and I probably did 10 of his games. And we did the game at Oregon mm-hmm. where Sean Miller didn't coach that day because of the allegations, and there were allegations directed at DeAndre Ayton, which he denied and his mom denied. And DeAndre played an unbelievable game, especially first half. There was one play where he dribbled the ball up the floor one on five and dunked it. And I saw that again last night when he threw it down in the first half. Like, he's capable of that. I I do think he's a competitor. He wants to be great. And I think he's getting more and more confident. That's the thing to me that's really standing out is he looks like a confident player on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's been one of the best things to watch. I, I'm curious, what do you think psychologically, emotionally, being able to eliminate LeBron and then troll LeBron the way they did, did for this basketball team? Yeah, huge. Uh, you know, I go back to, I think it was game three when Booker and Crowder got tossed and they were physical at the end of the game. I like that. That, that actually, when that happened at the end of that game, I was like, huh. <laughs> like there, there's an edge to this team. Like there's a physicality to this team. Like they expect to win, and they don't like it when they lose. So yeah, to, to go beat a team that has LeBron James on it, and you're the defending champs, I, I think it did a, a world of good for the confidence of this team. But I also feel like this team was already pretty confident. Dave Pash, uh, ESPN broadcaster, voice of the Arizona Cardinals, our guest here on the Colter Automotive Group Sports Line. Uh, yesterday, uh, before the game between the Nuggets and Suns, we got the news of the NBA Coach of the Year. Tom Thibodeau wins it from, from the Knicks, and certainly he had a strong case for it. There's a lot of local disappointment that Monty Williams didn't win. I saw your tweet that you had Monty as your number one choice. W- were you surprised by the results at all? Yes and no. Let me, let me say this. There's a hundred of us that vote. Uh, and like I, you know, it's not public yet, but it's, it's going to be eventually. So it doesn't matter. Like I voted for Devin Booker for third team, all NBA and Chris Paul for second team, all NBA. And it's not because I live in Arizona. <laughs> and I just thought that they were the most worthy to be all NBA. And I felt that Monty Williams was the best coach in, in 2021 and should have won the award. But because, you know, the All-NBA in particular have such an impact on Mm -hmm. player contracts, the voters take this stuff very seriously. That was, I think, the one thing I heard that I just disagreed with over the last 24 hours. I mean, there's a lot at stake for these players. I mean, for for any award winner, but specifically the players because of the, the contractual benefits that a player has if they're named All-NBA. So anybody that's voting, and and I don't know everybody that's voting, but I know a lot of people that are voting. I I know I spent hours making my choices because they're made public. Everybody sees them. The players see them. The coaches see them. The organizations see them. No one wants to lose credibility. So should Monty have won? I mean, more people voted for Monty to win than to not. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Tibbs ended up having more points for the third place and second place votes. It worked out. It was kind of crazy the way it worked out. But I just so one thing I took issue with was you know people saying that people are voting based on where they live. No, you're you're signing your name to this. Everybody's seeing it. And again, there's a lot of money involved in these decisions. Yeah.
All right. Finally, when you when you look at what the Suns are doing from a communal standpoint, the fact that the Cardinals could take this baton at some point and continue it, update us on what you think about our football team. Maybe anything you're hearing, thoughts you've had, your level of excitement for football season to get here. Yeah, I was over there today uh, watching a practice today, and obviously, it's you know it's hard to say after you watch you know one practice. Uh, and they're not going full speed of, you know, what kind of a season you're going to have. But, but the bottom line is this, this team's going to go as far as, as Kyler Murray takes them. I mean, all the, the moves that Steve made in the offseason to improve the locker room, to increase leadership, to increase accountability and physicality, that will help. And, you know, you hope that A.J. Green still has something left. You hope J.J. Watt has a big year that Rodney Hudson continues to play like, you know, one of the best offensive linemen in football. But ultimately, it, it's going to come down to Kyler Murray. And so uh, I, I, I just hope that I, you think he realizes it. I think he wants to be great. I'm hearing good things about his communication with coaches and players and people in the front office about, hey, I like this, I like that, I want to see it like he's engaged. So I'm encouraged. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate the division is as good as it is yeah. uh, because the Cardinals could have a great year um, and, you know, end up in third or fourth. But I, I think with the extra playoff team, there's always going to be somebody that ends up being really good that you don't think will be good and somebody ends up being bad because of injuries. I mean, yeah. nobody thought San Francisco was going to be bad last year. So. True. But I think we know what to expect from the Cardinals. They're going to be good to great. Um, and I think, you know, great is a possibility, but it, but it – Ends, it's it begins and ends with Kyler. Yeah, since we disappointed you on the way into the interview, we'll try to make up with uh, up for it on, on the way out, Dave. All right, uh, Brian Fieri, Danny Fieri, uh, Staten Island Fieri. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Brian Fieri. <laughs> oh my! Well, you guys do a great job. I enjoy your show, but I I do get a kick out of just. I, I didn't know if you guys like practice those no. or if you just haven't written down. I mean, it's really good. It's, it's not easy to be able to just kind of fire off those uh, capriciously the way you guys do. But I, well, I thank, you. thank you. Thank you for recognizing the skill behind our shenanigans, Dave. I do appreciate <laughs> that. That's one way to put it. It's a lot of effort to be this stupid. <laughs> yeah, to be this stupid. You have to be pretty smart to be this stupid. Yeah. Well, You're you the best, Dave. The college basketball broadcast, you know we have a, a PhD oh. in stupidity. No, yeah, and you, and you milk that well. Thank Thanks, you, Dave. Good to talk to you. All right. Dave, Dave Pash, ESPN broadcaster, voice of the Cardinals. He joined us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. Coulter Nissan, west of the hassle. Visit com. Coming up next, Suns backcourt needed to flex this series, and they certainly flexed in game one. We'll get into that and more next. Bickley and Murata, 98.7 FM. Arizona Sports Station. This is the home of Phoenix Suns playoff basketball. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station, and the Arizona Sports App. Suns playoff coverage presented by Four Peaks Kilt Lifter. Bickley and Murata talk Suns Nuggets now. Suns have possession. Booker out on top. Booker, a three-pointer. Suzanne! And one. He's hit. He's hit and fouled. Michael Porter fouls Devin Booker. Now the crowd's in it. Paul has the big man on him, Millsap, but he puts up a three. Shazam! Is Paul taking over? 
Yeah, Chris Paul, Devin Booker had their fingerprints on the game. Uh, and if you take the, the story of the top three guards for each team, Bick, yeah. that's where the Suns really needed to exploit their strength, and they did it in game one. Not right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought uh, Compazzo played really well in the first half, but if you look at uh, what they did in the second half of those games, Denver's top three guards, Compazzo, Rivers, and Morris, three for ten from the floor. 10 points, 4 rebounds, 6 assists, combined to go minus 44. In that same second half, Paul Booker and Payne, 12 for 20, 30 points, 7 rebounds, 10 assists, combined to go plus 37. Okay. Uh, the Nuggets need to figure out a way to to, to lessen that gap, especially well, if DeAndre Ayton is going to play Nikola Jokic as evenly as he did. Okay, let's, let's get right down to what's going to be the most difficult thing about the Nuggets in Game 2. It's because their head coach basically called them soft after the game. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's about as hardcore as it gets when you're talking about a team and the internal workings of a team after a first game of the series. Now, yep. I, know, I know exactly what Michael Malone was saying. Yeah, here was what he said on his right. team uh, after the game. I just told that group, this game to me was um, eerily similar to game one against Portland. Uh, I think we had way too many breakdowns tonight uh, from a coverage standpoint. Uh, I think seven of their 13 threes they made were from the corners, uh, and a lot of that was missed assignments, not communicating. Uh, we gave up eight end ones tonight. I think uh, had a soft mentality. You can't give up eight end ones uh, in a playoff game. If you're going to foul somebody, foul them uh, and not let them get the end one. Uh, 22 transition points. The turnover is obviously 12, but for 18 points. So we did some good things. Obviously, we were unable to sustain it for 48 minutes, and um, – you know, we all we all collectively have to be a lot better, a lot more physical, and a lot more disciplined come game two on Wednesday night. Here's- yeah, that's that's interesting to me. And and I um you one of the things about the Nuggets that they kind of built uh, a belief upon coming out of that Trailblazer series is that they were anything but soft in a lot of key moments of that series. And again, not to turn everything back to the Suns crowd, but I think I think the Nuggets were not expecting it. Now, when the series gets back to Denver, as you pointed out, they're going to have capacity as well. So that's going to be really loud there. But if you're up two zip in this series and you're the better team, it, you're in a great shape. You're in a great shape to make quick work of this basketball team. I, I just think that uh, they're going to try to. I'm I'm guessing alter the pace a little bit because the Suns were just too comfortable in the second half going forward. Um, but again, I, I just think the Suns now have got such a vibe about them. And now that they've gotten a great game from Mikhail Bridges, uh, I don't know what the Nuggets can do to match him. I really don't. I find it interesting that Michael Malone said that, and maybe it was just a matter of not getting their ducks in a row or getting their communication set from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. But he comes out and says they played soft. Nikola Jokic says, I don't think we played soft. I don't think so, we played soft. I mean, just the, the games happen like that. I don't think so, we have we, we played soft. Uh, we, might, we might do a better job, of course, handling the, the runs. I think in one moment they, had, they were on the 16-0 run. We were the up 8 or 7, and they were up 7 or 8, something like that. In, in that run, and then uh, in the beginning of the fourth quarter, they went on, they won a six-hole run. So mm, just uh, when things not going our way, we just need to be more more uh, more uh, 
decisive. I think like we need we need to know what we are doing as a group. I'm wondering, Bick, how prevalent the, the the narrative is in Denver right now about the officiating last night. You won't find anybody with an interest in the Suns that's going to complain about the officiating, but when you look at a 20-6 to differential in free throw attempts, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the Suns, in a physical, highly emotional playoff game, were called for 12 fouls. Those are low numbers. Nikola Jokic didn't step to the free throw line. There were a couple of, yes, but there were a couple of plays early on when there were traveling violations on Devin Booker or Chris Paul that weren't called, and Denver was crazy about that. I'm here to tell you, in watching the possessions of Nikola Jokic versus DeAndre Ayton, he did not back DA down that often. He did not put his head down. And get to the rim. That's how you get the fouls. Absolutely. In the Absolutely, he didn't do that. He didn't. You're right. And, and it's interesting to note too that Michael Malone said it was eerily reminiscent of Game One against Portland, where they lost by 14 to Portland on their home floor. They shot eight free throws in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, the next game in Game Two, a game that Denver won by 19 points, they were at the line 30 times. Ooh, okay. But so there you go. There's a blueprint. Six, six is their all-time low uh, for the season. They've never shot less than that. That was that was it. That was the low point oh, for yeah. them last night yeah. from the line. So expect a a much different looking game. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And it just it's a matter now of of what the Phoenix Suns internally feel like. This is this is the ultimate danger game, if you will. It's also the ultimate opportunity game for the Phoenix Suns. You do the math, you you, you go up 2-0 and it feels very close to being able to do it. Better better team incredible fuel from the fans. You go to Denver, you're up to zip. All you got to do is win one of two. The pressure is so squarely on Denver. Then you get that one and you get a chance to close it out in five. And there's no better mission accomplished than getting off to the Western conference finals after a short series. Mm -hmm. So that's all, that's all in front of the basketball team. I, I think that I think they really have been emboldened by getting over LeBron and getting through Chris Paul's, injury to the point where he played like he did in the fourth quarter. I think the Suns are going to be a handful tomorrow night. Well, I think you're right. I I would expect a much more competitive 48-minute game, though, because I, 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 yeah, I, I have that much faith that Denver is going to crank it up as well. Coming up next with so many players making contributions in Game 1. Who was the MVP in Game 1 for the Phoenix Suns? That and more important topics next in social studies. It's Bickley and Murata, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.